0: For over two decades, our charge at Calvary has been to build a church without walls. The church is not a building, it's not an address, it's the people. For 20 years we've been building people, people who love Jesus, love each other, and love our neighbors locally and globally. And we've seen God at work, giving hope to kids in Myanmar, raising up leaders in Central PA, loving our neighbors, and and making a difference on campuses throughout our region. In the last 20 years, we've gone from impacting one city to four, we've helped to launch three different churches, and along the way, we've given millions of dollars to serve those in the margins of life here and around the world. So what's next? What's next is our 2030 vision. In 2017, we began a process of discovering God's vision for our next chapter, and we began to dream. We began to dream of a great movement of prayer that would see every person in our region regularly prayed for by name. We began to dream of restoring marriages, nurturing families, and seeing 1,000 children and students make a decision to follow Jesus. We began to dream of sending thousands of front yard missionaries to be Jesus on every campus, every workplace, and every neighborhood in central PA. We began to dream of being a catalyst for revival at Penn State and every school in our region. Ultimately, those dreams led to our 2030 vision. It is our vision to be part of a movement, to see the number of Jesus apprentices in Central PA double by 2030, in the process, catalyzing an epic release of leaders. So what's next? What's next is a step of faith into a journey of uncertainty, where nothing will be more important than the gracious hand of God upon us, blessing us so we can bless others. What's next? What's Next is the Christ's call to be the church, an opportunity to experience the soul-stretching joy of being part of a team engaged in a mission to give living proof of a loving God to the 340,000 people in Central PA with no church connection, especially in the next generation. What's Next? What's Next is an opportunity to be a pioneering church, seeking to innovate the shape of the next Church of Christ's future, a church that will reach the generations to come. How will we get to What's Next? Together, Together. for the next seven years, we'll pray like never before. Together. Together, for the next seven years, we'll love the next generation like never before. And whatever is next, we'll get there by His hand together. So what's the next step? In our next initiative, we have three goals. Number one is we will prioritize the next generation. We will passionately pursue the good of the next generation, helping them love Jesus, and lead the church into all god has for us in the decades to come number two we will bless every neighbor in our communities we will pray like crazy and grow in generosity we will step in faith and live in god's overflow we will share jesus with our hashtag number three we will prepare in faith for the fulfillment of the 2030 vision we will begin to pay off debt design structures gather resources and start gatherings that will prepare us for revival and for a doubling of Christ's followers in Central PA. Over 65 years ago, 18 people gathered for Calvary's very first worship service in a dance hall called Woodman Hall. Four years later, 15 people signed on as charter members. Not a huge start and it wasn't easy but over the course of the years god has blessed and in 2018 god led us to our 2030 vision and we were on a roll eight worship services in five different locations we had 2400 people at our christmas eve services in 2019 and then covid hit and if you look at the numbers it seems like we're further from our vision now than when we started but over and over again the last few years i've had this simple sense of the whisper of god saying dan don't settle. Ask me for more. And I'm asking you to do that with me. Ask Him for more. That's what's next. So many amazing God stories start with a prayer God, more. Breathe more life, do more stuff, give more resources, draw more people to Jesus. God, please more. And when we pray that prayer, we're simply saying, God, I want to be a part of the story that you're writing. And over and over again, we've said that God has an unlimited capacity to give, but we have a limited capacity to receive. So if we want to be part of the more of God, we got to get good at sharing what he's already given us. In fact, I want to give you just a a little bit of a preview of the ending before we dive in and just say, at the end, we're going to come to a point where I'm going to ask you to consider filling out a commitment card. It's just a, a share commitment card that will say, I will share, fill in the blank, with someone, fill in the blank. Whatever it is, share time, share money, share help, share Jesus with who. So in these next few moments, if God brings a person to mind and something that you should share, hang on to that. You know, since the military coup in Myanmar, uh, a million-plus Burmese have become refugees. Christians from the Chin State have been especially impacted. Many of our Burmese friends in Myanmar, they're, they're from the Chin State. They have family there. The military has decimated this region, bombed churches, forced tens of thousands of people to flee across the border into India now, India, you may know this, they're normally closed to refugees, especially Myanmar, but in Mitzoram, which is the Indian state bordering the Chin state, the locals have, in essence, gone against the nation to welcome almost 50,000 Burmese refugees. And you might ask, why have they done this? Well, like the Chin state... Mizoram is mostly Christian, 95% Christian, and they're also incredibly generous. They are the poorest of the poor. But in 1910, Mizoram families began a practice called bufai tham, literally means a handful of rice. So each family would set aside a handful of rice every time they cooked a meal, and they they would then bring their handfuls to church each week, and the church would sell the rice for income. In 1910, the bufai tham raised about a buck fifty. Today, Bufai Tham has raised millions and millions of dollars, supporting thousands of missionaries locally and globally, and providing a refuge. Providing a refuge for the families of our friends in Myanmar. The Mitzvahrams have this saying. They say, if we have something to eat, we have something to share. They're living in the overflow. In nineteen eighty-seven, the largest single-day stock market crash since nineteen twenty nine took place. And that day, Richard Stearns and his wife Renee, they, they lost more than a third of their money. Retirement funds, kids' college funds, emergency, their life savings. And he was horrified. He he became obsessed with getting it back. Spreadsheets, sell orders, buy orders, phone calls, work till late at night, every night. He writes in his book, A Hole in Our Gospel. Says, I was consumed with anguish over our lost money, and it showed. One late night, Renee, his wife, came and sat down beside him and said, Honey, this thing is consuming you. It's, it's not healthy. It's only money. We have our marriage. We have our health. We have our friends, our kids. you got a good job. There's so much to be thankful for. You need to let go of this and trust God. He, he didn't want to let go. He felt responsible. He said to her, It's my job to worry about things like this. So she suggested they pray about it. Man, don't you hate it when you've got something legitimate to worry about and somebody says, let's pray about it. (laughs) But he could hardly say no. So they prayed. And then after they prayed, Renee looked at him and said, now I think we need to get out the checkbook and write some big checks to our church and to ministries we support. We need to show God that we know this is his money and not ours. Stearns writes, "I I was flabbergasted at the audacity of this suggestion. But in my heart, I knew she was right. So that night, we wrote some sizable checks. They signed them, sealed them, put them in the mail. And Stern says, and that's when I felt the wave of relief. We had broken the spell that money had cast over me. It freed me from the worries that had consumed me. I actually felt reckless and giddy. I said, God, please catch us, because we just took a crazy leap of faith. They were living in the overflow. Do you understand it looks different for different people at different times and different places? It might be a handful of rice or a crazy large check at just the wrong time. It might be an invitation to a meal or a conversation with a friend about Jesus. It might be grace when you are hurt deeply or time when you can't find the time. There's not a single one of us who cannot find our way into his overflow, even in times when it seems like we're surely living life in the no flow, (laughs) no flow. I, I was drawn to a story this week. It's an Old Testament story. It's a heart-wrenching, kind of disgusting story. In fact, I remember a few years ago, Lynn came across it in her Bible reading and wondered out loud to me, why in the world would God include that story in the Bible? Well, I think God put it in the Bible to show us he can overflow in the very worst of days. The story starts in 2 Kings chapter 7, verse 3, and it says this, now there were four men with leprosy, Sitting at the entrance of the city gates, why should we sit here waiting to die? They asked each other. Now, before we continue, I gotta set the context from 2 Kings chapter 6. We won't read it, but Ben Hadad, the king of Aram, has deployed his entire army to surround Samaria. It's a starvation siege that led to such desperation. It says a donkey's head was going for 80 shekels of silver. That's a lot of money. And a cup of dove dung was going for five shekels of silver. I mean, can you imagine pulling up to the drive-thru and ordering donkey head and bird poop? Those are hard. These are hard, desperate, no flow days and it gets worse says so a king was walking along the wall and a woman cried out for his help he said what do you need is she said yesterday this woman said to me give up your son we'll eat him today and we'll eat my son tomorrow so we cooked my son but now today she's hidden her son and that that's disgusting it assaults our sensibilities, and it makes us feel a little bit sick to our stomach. In fact, some of you are thinking, that can't be in the Bible. You're, you're making that up. The only reason I'm giving you the graphic details is so that we know that the people in the city, they had absolutely no hope. It was donkey's head, dove-dong, cannibalism, or death. And I know sometimes we find this hard to believe, but I, sometimes in our neighborhoods, the hopeless are Hidden. But what if we have neighbors who are just as desperate in different ways as that city? Maybe they're not under siege but they're living behind walls or filled with anxiety and depression. Maybe they're not, they're not eating donkey heads or dove dung but they're staring at divorce papers or, or mountains of debt. Maybe they're not cooking their kids but there's abuse, there's neglect. Sometimes we don't realize how good God's overflow is because we don't realize how desperate we are. When the king heard this, it says he tore his clothes. It was his way of saying, I'm I'm helpless and hopeless, nothing I can do. In fact, he told the women, if God doesn't help you, where can I find help? And so the king actually sent his men to call God's prophet Elisha, but God's prophet heard they were coming, and he locked himself in his room. He doesn't want to have anything to do with this. See, it it was a very bad day, unless you're a leper outside the walls. If you're a leper outside the walls, it's way worse than very bad. It's way less than hopeless. Remember verse 3. Now there were four men with leprosy sitting at the entrance of the city gates. Why should we sit here waiting to die, they asked each other. So let me just give you a little bit of leprosy context. Leperology 101. A leper in those days, and in the days of Christ, a leper was considered untouchable. Open sores would would form on their skin, perhaps first on the face and then the arm, eventually swelling and, and ulcerating. And the sores created this very foul-smelling odor, and, and they were very contagious. The, the vocal cords would also be affected. The voice would become hoarse and raspy, really hard to understand. And in time, the face became unrecognizable leprosy led to a loss of feeling, so often the extremities fingers and toes and ears and nose would get infected and even lost lepers were pronounced unclean and unfit to touch they were isolated and unclean not just physically dirty they, they were spiritually dirty they they were not allowed to worship in fact, many considered leprosy to be a curse from God. To touch one was to be defiled. They, they couldn't work, so eventually they lived in deep poverty. So, so really, they, they had no friends, no finances, and no future. There's no flow. There's no overflow, loss of everything. They're, they're just trying to survive. They're helpless, hopeless, and homeless, and they're sitting outside the walls. And I, I love this story because there was nobody in those days who was so much less than ordinary, than a leper. And there's nobody whose days were viewed as so much less than valuable. And yet this story is a great reminder that nobody is beyond the touch of God's love. No life is beyond redemption. The the overflow of grace and love and joy and even stuff that comes from the hand of God is available for all of us. And the reality is, if we think about it, if we're honest about it, we've all got at least a little bit of Spiritual, emotional, relational leprosy that we're dealing with, right? In fact, let me put it this way while many of us are striving to be kings in control of our own little kingdom, sometimes it's better to admit that, man, we're just lepers outside the walls. So if you feel like you're living a no flow life right now, I'm just telling you, God is not through with you. He can make a difference through you and in you. In fact, sometimes He uses lepers to save cities. But it begins by asking the same question those four asked. Why, why should we sit here waiting to die? Just ask yourself, am I just sitting here waiting to die? Or am I willing to do something? A- am, I, am I willing to try something, open up my hands and risk something? Am I, am I willing to take a step to living in God's no way overflow? So So just picture this. Just outside the gates of the city, in other words, without protection from the enemy, there's a siege taking place. There's these four guys with leprosy. In Second Kings chapter 7, verses 3 and 4, here's what it says. There were four men with leprosy sitting at the entrance of the city gates. Why should we sit here waiting to die, they asked each other. We'll starve. We'll starve if we stay here. But with the famine in the city, we'll starve if we go back there. So we might as well go out and surrender to the Aramean army. If they let us live, so much the better. But if they kill us, we would have died anyway. <laughs> They're outside the gates because no one will let them in. They won't let them in because they're lepers. So they're stuck. They're stuck in the margins between a city that is desperately starving and an enemy camp. Their options are limited. Let's see. We can try to get into the city, but then we'll, we'll die from starvation. We can sit here and wait for the battle, but then we'll die from a spear. Or we can go to the enemy and surrender. We'll probably still die, but maybe not. There's no good options They're just trying to make the least bad choice. But but do you remember back our gritty blessing series? Blessing number one, Jesus' first statement was, blessed are the broken, blessed are the desperate, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of God. Blessed are those who have come to the end of their rope and have nowhere to turn, but they turn to God. I got to tell you, God is drawn to hopeful desperation. God is drawn to hopeful desperation. And and you understand it's not desperation just all by itself. That leads to death. But these guys have a little bit of hope. Do you know how I know they had a little bit of hope? Because they asked each other, why should we just sit here waiting to die? Let's do something. Maybe we got a chance. (laughs) It's like my... My favorite line from the classic movie, Dumb and Dumber, I can't remember if it was Dumb or Dumber, but Jim Carrey is chasing this girl who has no time for him whatsoever. And he finally corners her and asks her if there's any possibility that she might ever go out with him, might ever have feelings for him. And she says, it's about a million, million to one. And he gets this big smile on his face and he says, so you're telling me I got a chance. <laughs> maybe they'll let us live. I don't know, maybe they'll even feed us. Let, let's go with maybe. It sounds kind of crazy, but let's risk it. Maybe we got a chance. Sometimes we call that going for broke. And, and we develop a go for broke attitude when we believe that the potential reward is greater than the personal cost. And the options are limited anyway. So let's take the risk. Let's go for broke. And, and God is not only drawn to hopeful desperation, I'm telling you, God is drawn to risk taking faith. When's the last time you took a risk, risk-taking faith? If, if we have to give away what we have to find the overflow of God, I wonder how often does fear keep us from the flow? Frank Loudon, uh, uh, a scientist, he spent a decade studying risk management, and he summarizes all the literature on risk management in 19 principles. And you know what the first one is? Everything is risky. <laughs> In other words, your comfort zone is not as risk-free as you think. You, You can stay home in bed, but you could still become one of the half million people who go to the ER every year for injuries sustained falling out of bed. Everything is risky. So here's what I want to encourage you to do. Why not take a risk for God? Step out in faith. Take a risk. Go for broke. Take a risk for God. Jesus did it all the time. I mean, he continually followed God and he led his followers into missions that were doomed to fail unless God showed up. Take a risk. Step out towards extraordinary generosity. When I've done that, when Lynn and I have done it, that's when we found ourselves experiencing the no way flow of God. Like, no way. Did you ever find yourself saying about something that God did? No way. I love the no way God story that Erwin McManus has shared. It was just a few months after becoming a Jesus follower. He was a student who didn't know much about Christianity or church, but was hungry to know God. And so he was going to every campus ministry meeting he could find. And that's where he met Beth. She played guitar and led worship. And and he was just learning how to play guitar, and she was willing to lend him her guitar. And so one day in the midst of a guitar exchange, Beth began to share some of her story. And Irwin found that Beth was was struggling to believe that God loved her. In fact, before she'd become a, a Jesus follower, she was living with a guy, and and the week before they were talking, and, and and this guy called her back up, and she was telling Irwin that she decided to move back in with him. And I'm sure the issues were complex heart issues, but at least part of the reason she said she accepted his invitation was because she just couldn't feel. God anymore. She didn't believe that he really loved her. Irwin didn't know a lot, but he knew that that was wrong. He knew that God loved her, and he told her, you know what? If there's anything God could do to prove his love for you, he would do it. Irwin was a young Christian. He hadn't gotten churchified. He hadn't been taught yet that we need to protect God's reputation by not raising people's expectations. (laughs) If God loves me, Beth said, I want him to make it snow. This is California. I mean, can you imagine that moment, or Irwin said she could have asked for a date with a football captain or a test grade changed from an F to an A. I might have been able to help God with a request like that. This was totally out of my hands. But all of a sudden he heard someone saying, "God is going to make it snow for you within 24 hours." He could not imagine someone saying those words, so he almost died when he recognized it was his voice. And so he did the only thing that he could do. He went back to his dorm room and he started praying. He got down on his face before God and earnestly, desperately asked God for more, hoping that God wasn't wringing his heavenly hand, yelling down, Erwin, what in the world were you thinking? You want me to do what? He prayed long and hard throughout the day, and somewhere in the midst of it, he fell asleep. And a few hours after he fell asleep, his roommate woke him up Hey, Mark said, have you looked outside? Irwin didn't know if Mark was there to rub it in or tell him to get back to prayer. But without saying a word, Irwin walked over to the window. He writes in his book, I remember taking a deep breath before I pulled open the shades. I don't know what I expected to see, but I saw snow everywhere. I will never forget, he said, the feeling that I had running across the snow and then finding this woman playing in the gift that God had sent just for her. Do you have any idea how much God loves no way God stories? Do you have any idea how much God loves to come through for us when we take a risk? So let's finish the no way God story of these four lepers. In 2 Kings chapter 7, verses 5-8, through 8, here's what it says. So at twilight, they, the the four, they set out for the camp of the Arameans. But when they came to the edge of the camp, nobody was there. For the Lord had caused the Aramean army to hear the clatter of speeding chariots and the galloping of horses and the sounds of a great army approaching. (laughs) The king of Israel has hired the Hittites and Egyptians to attack us, they cried out to one another. So they panicked and they ran into the night, abandoning their tents, their horses, donkeys, and everything else as they fled for their lives. And when the lepers arrived... (laughs) at the edge of the camp. They went into one tent after another, eating and drinking wine and, and they carried off the silver and gold and clothing and, and they hid it. I don't miss this. Who who defeated the enemy? Those four guys, no. The king, no. This was an act of God, not a natural disaster. It was an overflow blessing, a supernatural blessing. I mean, imagine this. They, they get inside the enemy camp and they walk into this buffet of riches, overflowing food like an orphan from Myanmar, walking into Trader Joe's with somebody else's credit card. And they're jumping up and down, running from tent to tent, stuffing their faces with food and guzzling Aramean wine, trying on clothes, pointing at each other and laughing. They can't believe it. They start digging holes to stash the gold and silver. They've gone from starving leper outside the walls with no hope to king of the stuff pile. They're grabbing all they can with all they got. But before I make that capacity point, I got to just tell you, this is good news. God overflows good stuff for lepers. (laughs) They didn't earn it. They didn't deserve it. They just stepped into it. And this is the essence of the gospel. This is good news. It it shapes the heart of a Jesus follower. To have this attitude of abundance rather than a a scarcity mentality, God overflows good stuff for lepers. And we have an overflow of blessings. So just ask yourself, what's in my overflow? And don't let your minds go immediately to your stuff because there's so much more, so much better. I'm, I'm living in the overflow of God's love. The creator of the universe loves me. Jesus died on the cross for me so that I could be forgiven, adopted into his family. He gives me a million second chances. And not only that, I have Lynn and my kids, my grandkids, extended family and friends that I, I love hanging out with. I get to laugh and cry and dance, but only when it embarrasses my kids. I get to worship and be stretched and grow, and and there's more. I I have the very Spirit of God within me and with me. And and when I stop striving and quiet my heart, God speaks to me. When, When I don't know how to pray, He translates my groans into the language of God. He empowers and He guides me and He encourages me when I'm down. I have gifts and abilities and opportunities that I've been given through no merit of my own, and I get to use them to make a difference in the world. I get to enjoy the fall colors on Mount Nittany and sunsets across the pond at harvest fields, and and as I'm enjoying them, I get to say thank you to the one who made them. It is an extravagantly overflowing abundance of blessings, and I'm not afraid to die, Because I've been promised that the best is yet to come. As good as all that is, the best is yet to come. I'm going to hang out with Moses and Jesus and friends and family who went before me and who come after me, and we're all in for a great forever. That's my overflow. You know what? The best advertisement for God is a spiritual leper who's discovered the overflow of grace and joy that comes from God. The more we revel in the goodness of God and the more we immerse ourselves in the undeserved grace of God, the more we saturate our loves, lives with the good news of God's blessing, the more we are compelled to share his overflow. And that's what happens to these four guys. They decided that what they'd found was too good not to share that's my closing challenge. Just ask yourself, will I dig holes or save cities? Will I dig holes to grab onto all my stuff or will I save the people around me? Will I share? In 2 Kings 7, nine, it says, Finally they said to each other, This is not right. <laughs> This is a day of good news, and we're, we're not sharing it with anyone. If we wait till morning, some calamity will certainly fall upon us. In other words, God's going to get us. Come on, let's go back and tell the people. And one of my favorite episodes of Everybody Loves Raymond, it's old TV show, a comedy, maybe you haven't even seen it, but Ray and Deborah learn that their daughter, she's about eight or nine at the time, and she's asking the question, why are we here? And they're thinking she's asking about the birds and the bees. And so it's decided that Raymond has to have the talk with their daughter. So he gets a book and he reviews the pictures and the details and he gathers up his courage and he goes to his daughter's room and he says, Honey, I understand you have some questions. He opens the book to the first picture and he starts talking and his daughter says, No, Daddy, I already know that stuff. I know how God made me. I just want to know why. Just want to know why. <laughs> Raymond mumbles something about how it got too crowded in heaven, so God had to put some people on Earth to make room up there, and he runs out of the room because ultimately talking about our purpose for living is a scary thing if we don't know the answer. But we have the answer. It's not hidden. It's all over the Bible, even here in this obscure Old Testament story about four lepers and their overflow. Finally, they said to each other, this is not right. This is a day of good news, and we're not sharing it with anyone. It's really that simple. It's the first rule we learned in kindergarten. Share your stuff. Share the overflow. Share the good news. Share God's grace. Share Jesus. You've been blessed to be a blessing. You know what kind of scares me a little bit? God has amazingly blessed us at Calvary. We're not a perfect church. My goodness, I know that. You know that. But God has given us an incredible overflow of his presence. Man, I don't know about you, but when I get together with you, I feel God's presence. He's given us an incredible flow of grace and gifts, of resources and people. We've started gatherings and multiplied churches. We've given away people and sent people and still more come. And you're thinking, well, what scares you about that, Dan? What scares me is that I have a growing conviction that God is not impressed by the number of people that we crowd into our facilities on the weekend. In fact, He might not even be counting. Because what I believe brings a smile of God is not how many are coming, but how many are going. How many are going back into their workplaces and their classrooms and their dorms their neighborhoods with the good news of God's overflowing grace God's overflowing blessings Last weekend we we talked a, a bit about our first goal it's in this book, our first goal, aiming towards the 2030 vision. We're going to prioritize the next generation. If you didn't realize it, today we're talking about our second major goal. We want to bless every home, every neighbor, every person in our communities. In Central PA, I, I think it is as simple as saying we're going to share the snot out of our overflow. These four lepers had a conversion experience. Their eyes were opened up and, and they said to each other, this is not right, we've We've got good news. We've got an overflow. We've got to share it. Listen to me. Life is too short to be greedy. We'll miss the overflow if we don't share. So let's share. Let's share our stuff and let's share community, our our relationships, our time. Let's share our story. Let's share Christ. (laughs) You, You may feel like all you have to give is a handful of rice. Or maybe like Stearns, you recently lost everything you saved. Maybe you feel like you're outside the walls. No friends, no finances, no future. You're going through what seems to be a no-flow time. I'm telling you, take a risk. Go for broke. Share what you got, whatever it is. You know that I'm committed to our 2030 vision. I talk about it all the time. We want to see the number of Christ followers in Central PA double by 2030. And last weekend, we gave you the books, and and we mailed another copy this week. If you didn't get one, get one before you leave your gathering, or, or let us know, and we'll send you one. It's a guidebook for where we're heading. And Lynn and I are passionately committed to Calvary. We're going to take a risk in what we give for this next initiative. We're, we're going all out for the next generation and for our neighbors and to see the number of Christ followers in Central PA double. And, and yes, I'm asking, I'm going to ask all of us to be engaged, 100% engagement in this next initiative. In a month, on the third weekend of March, we'll collect those financial commitment cards that you've seen in the books and we'll send them out and you'll, you'll get them. But listen, listen, hear my heart on this. If you come to me and you say, Dan, I just, I don't have enough to share with both Calvary and my neighbor. I have to choose one. Listen to me. That's easy. Love your neighbor. Jesus didn't say, love God with all your heart and love Calvary like you love yourself. He said, love your neighbor. In fact, before we ever get to a commitment card, a financial commitment card for Calvary this weekend, I'm... I'm asking you to fill out a commitment card for somebody else, someone on your hashtag, someone in your neighborhood, someone at work, in your dorm, in your classroom, on your team. It's real simple. The card you've been given, the card that you'll get, just simply says, I will share with fill in the blank. I will share what fill in the blank with fill in the blank. Share your time, share Jesus, share money, share food, share your car. Share your table. Did I say share Jesus? With who? And I'm asking you to fill that in. And and then for those of you in a gathering, I'm asking you to bring it to the front of your gathering during the next few songs because we want to collect them and put them up for a few months as a reminder of what this is really all about because it's really that simple. You you can even go out and do it this coming weekend. It's CWOW Sunday. Go share with someone. Go out and bless our neighbors with what God has given us. We'll come back around to the vision. (laughs) Even on Seawall Sunday, we'll talk more about the vision. Lynn and I will in the video. But for this week, for this weekend, for now, let's go share. Let's go share. Let me pray. Father God, thank you for your grace. Thank you for sharing such an overflow of blessing with each and every one of us. And God, I pray that you would give us the same heart, the same heart that Jesus has. I pray that we would love our neighbors like we love ourselves. That we wouldn't try to hang on for ourselves because it doesn't make sense if we're loving our neighbor like we love ourselves. We, we want to give. God, help us to share. Help us to share our stuff. Help us to share our time. Help us to share Jesus with the people around us. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.